Hello and welcome to Guiding Assets, the flagship investment podcast for CFA Institute. I'm Mike Wahlberg, and I'm joined today by Kunal Kapoor, CEO of Morningstar. Kunal has served in many leadership capacities over his 26 years with the firm, including Director of Mutual Fund Research and President and CIO of Morningstar Investment Services. He also headed up Morningstar.com, the firm's data business, as well as its global products and client solutions group. That breadth of experience and knowledge has surely informed Kunal's six years in the CEO chair, especially as the industry and Morningstar has had to adapt to what feels like an accelerating pace of change. I want to talk to Kunal today about one of those changes in particular, and that's the rise of AI and its role in financial markets. Welcome to the show, Kunal. Thank you for having me, Mike. So given the ubiquity and importance of Morningstar to the millions of professional and DIY investors out there, I think you'd really need to be living under a rock to not know what Morningstar does, but Given it's a bit of a different animal, I thought it might be good to start off with a quick description of your business. Well, I'm glad you started by saying that because there was time early in my career when uh, I would say I worked at Morningstar and people would say, oh, I love your veggie burgers. (laughs) And uh, you may not believe this, but to this day, I do get letters from disgruntled customers who are unhappy about recipe changes. And so there are a few people living under rocks, and uh, I'm going to unearth them. But, uh, you know, that is not our business, obviously. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, we're a very mission-driven business, and our, our goal is to empower investor success. And so if I was to oversimplify what it is that we do, this is how I think about it. We think about the investor portfolio, and we want to demystify whatever goes in that portfolio. And so how do we do that? We build databases that allow us, first of all, to be able to have a basis for providing insight. And once we have those databases, we layer on research, ratings, portfolio tools, in some cases, investment management uh, services. But that's the goal of it. And it's changed a lot in my 25 plus years. Uh, When I landed at Morningstar and I did my CFA, for example, the focus was all on stocks, bonds, and cash. I, I, I remember this very clearly. And uh, today, stocks, bonds, and cash are but one portion of what many investors are uh, putting money in. You've had the rise of venture cap and uh, private equity. Fixed income has exploded into all kinds of things. I like to joke that if you look at a fixed income mutual fund today, it owns anything but fixed income securities because there's all kinds of derivatives and whatnot that make up the portfolio. So it's our job to provide insights, no matter what, be able to x-ray that portfolio and empower an investor's ability to successfully navigate different options. So I'd like to start with a philosophical question, if I may, Kanal, about the role of AI in markets. Because you've said that the bar for being an investment manager is higher in a world where AI is stress. What do you mean by that? Well, first of all, the bar is high when it comes to being an investment manager in general. And specifically when it comes to AI, what I'm getting at is that the ability to have unique insights and to be able to do the types of things that maybe are additive to value is going to be even more challenging. Because certainly machines are going to continue to learn how to take away the edge you know, professionals and capture it themselves. And you've already seen the rise of so many quantitative strategies in the past few decades. And I don't see that slowing down because of AI. Now, on the other hand, I also feel like if you're a fundamentally oriented active manager, you suddenly have a slew of tools available to you. Um, 
that you did not, and you have an opportunity to take advantage of it. So we'll see how it plays out, but my gut as a result is that the bar is much, much higher and fewer people will succeed, but those that are able to tap into it have the potential to continue doing well. Do you think it's a tool effectively that's kind of pushing us along the continuum towards effectively more efficient markets? I fundamentally believe markets are efficient. Certainly, I I do believe that there are periods of inefficiency over longer stretches. And so I'm not necessarily going to say that makes the markets more or less efficient, given that I believe they're pretty efficient already. I think my core point is that it continues to reduce some of the edges that investors may feel like they have because they can certainly be learned away by machines. So what is that opportunity set that exists for for capital markets professionals? How can they leverage that power of AI? In answering this, I wonder if you could think more broadly, I guess, about, uh, about all the firms that your analysts are looking at, but also curious to have you speak about how Morningstar is specifically using it. Yeah, and l- let, me, let me try to answer it through both lenses, and I think there's some overlap in how I would think about it. You know, for us, one simple example is um, our coverage list. So historically, uh, if you look at the number of managed products that we cover, uh, it was somewhat limited by the number of analysts that we could hire. And and, and you can only hire a certain number of analysts because there's diminishing returns. You kind of keep going beyond um, a certain point. And our analysts had coverage lists. And so our aggregate coverage lists essentially were number of analysts times let's say, average number of uh, strategies covered by an analyst. In the last year or so, we have essentially, you know, worked to hone our methodology where um, we've used machine learning to ensure that we are learning the behaviors that create success for analysts. And we have essentially introduced a new rating that takes the best of both our qualitative world and our quantitative world and brings it together, and suddenly we have coverage of just about any managed product around the world. And it's fundamentally based on our analyst work and the qualitative work that they do, and suddenly, though, it's extended to the entire universe, and we can provide those insights without needing to go out and hire even more analysts than ever before. And so if you look at the way we've been investing in our manager research team, there's been a very significant amount of uh, investment in quants and data scientists uh, to kind of, you know, bolster the capabilities that the fundamental analysts have. And if you think about this more broadly, when I was a manager researcher early in my career, I remember many of the calls I did and managers would tell me, for example, if their value manager, it was uncommon for somebody to say, well, I always wake up in the morning and I look at what's hitting the 52-week low list. And that would be the starting point. And Maybe that's a good starting point, maybe not. But in retrospect, it almost seems, uh, you know, like such a basic strategy that anybody could copy. And now you think about uh, if you're able to use AI and the other factors you could start screening on and getting data on almost daily with just about the same amount of effort once you've done the initial push as it would take to kind of look at the paper and decide, you know, what your 52-week lows were for the previous day. And suddenly your universe starts to expand and change and Maybe it's not the same as everybody else. And so those kinds of things, I think, are going to be more and more interesting to those who can put it to work. Seems it seems like so much like science fiction, doesn't it? I have this I have this image in my mind of these, you know, the human analysts doing their work and the computers are on the sidelines watching. 
there's another application I think, Kunal, that I'd love for you to talk about at Morningstar, which is the the Mo. Can you tell me about Mo? There was all this initial buzz around ChatGPT. We thought, how can we, you know, leverage it more successfully for our own purposes? And as you know, Mike, one of the big fears when you are looking at how AI is applied is this fear that it'll run amok, that you don't know where the information is pulled from and whether it's trustworthy, because sometimes you can ask the same question and you'll get a different answer the next time or find different sources of truth. But what we've done is we've taken ChatGPT and created a private instance with our own research fed into it. So only on research. So think of a walled garden as opposed to an open garden. And we basically have on top of that put a, a human author uh, onto it. And so it interacts with anyone Mo does. She go and ask a, a question. And the answer is only about our research. So you can go back, let's say, to the 1990s and even 1980s and say, hey, what did Don Phillips say about Peter Lynch back uh, when Mr. Lynch uh, was managing money at Fidelity? And you'll get a quick answer uh, about that. And then you could say, where should I go have dinner? And Mo will say, well, I'm a financial expert, so I can give you that answer, which is different than what you would get if you just went out on you know, the web and tried to interact with an AI, you'd get an answer probably for everything because it's not in a wall garden. And so we've tried to train it just on our research. And it's super interesting because one of the things we're learning too is we have a version uh, with Mo and, and the Avatar, and then we have a version in our products that has no Avatar. It's just a text-based version of Mo. And we find that when the human is involved or, or the Avatar is involved, people tend to, tend to ask way more personal questions. And they tend to sort of veer into areas of financial planning and whatnot. Whereas when it's just a text-based box, it's very transactional. How do I do this? Where can I find that? So super interesting when you kind of step back and see what's happening even in our interaction. And so to me, it's sort of a sign that most of us are probably increasingly comfortable talking to a digital author and getting answers and trusting those answers. And so having the wall garden is particularly important in our view in the, in the financial space. That's fascinating that having the the personal touch to it or the the, the image of it changes people's behavior. That's This will be the stuff of social science studies, I'm sure, or if it's not already. Have you guys dabbled at all in the, in the kind of the robo area, you know, where you can talk about portfolio construction or suitability, that kind of stuff? Or So we own one of the largest robos in, in our Morningstar Retirement Manager, we have not as yet extended the capabilities around AI into that space. We are obviously thinking about how to do it, but one of the things we are very conscious and careful about is where there's personal data involved and how we would need to think about that. So we just haven't done any that space. Yeah. I'd be interested. Let's let's talk about that a little bit, the sort of the ethical considerations that, that have to come into play when you're when you're managing data and working with some of these powerful tools. I know you've done some research into this area in terms of the ethical considerations and the opportunities of AI and investing. What if we could maybe push into the ESG side for a second under the same category here and talk a little bit about the conclusions of the work that that Morningstar has done into how AI can be harnessed uh, to support ESG approaches? Well, I think you asked a couple of things in that question. You know, one from just a data and ethical standpoint, I would just say that 
with or without AI, there are standards that I believe everybody should follow when it comes to everyone's individual data and, and, and how firms work with that. We've had a long standing policy of staying very, very cautious in terms of doing anything at that level. With individuals' data, we think it's sort of something that has to be treated very, very thoughtfully. And so we've been cautious there. But what you're getting to on sort of a broader ESG question is just our ability now to go and get data faster, compare that data faster. And it's not just limited to ESG. And one of the big opportunities for us as we think about what we're going to do in the future is particularly where there's standardized data, our ability to capture it quickly and train machines to automatically populate, let's say, an analyst model in really quick time is going to increase exponentially. And so you're kind of going back to, I think, what you alluded to much earlier, much of the kind of basic building blocks of data that populate financial data, whether it's statements or ESG data or what have you, we're going to be able to automate even more so than ever before. And in the ESG space in particular, I think we're going to be able to train models to go out and start collecting non-standard data based on what they learn, also standard data and what's going to be valid and invalid. And, and so we see a lot of potential in that text. Yeah, because some, some of that non-standard data is kind of exciting, I, I think, you know, the ways that you can sort of use satellites to spot risk of climate change, for example, I know is one thing that, that is happening out there. You can use natural language processing to gauge tone and sentiment. It's, a, it's, a, it's sort of a brave new world out there. Is, is this, uh, would this fall under the sustainalytics work that they're doing in, in terms of the ratings that they're doing or how, how, how do they fit into the... Uh... Well, I mean, no, not quite. I mean, it falls under what we consider to be our data collections and operations area and it's something we would apply across the farm. So I'm curious if you have a view, if we sort of step back again and have a look at it and say, you know, are there any particular types of strategies that may benefit more or less from AI tools? Like I'm thinking here of the outlook for, outlook for uh, rather active versus passive, quant versus fundamental. Like who, who do you think stands to gain the most from what we see the, the capabilities are from AI? I think ultimately who I think stands to benefit the most is the investor because ultimately I think AI too will continue to narrow the gap between what's available institutionally to what's available at the retail level. I also think it's just natural that the cost of investing will continue to go down. And I think the use of machines and technology in that context is an important part of how and why that's going to keep going down. So I think the investor wins when all of this exists. And, you know, I've been saying for, for, few years now that it's a good time to be an investor because the trends are favorable for investors. And I think this uh, trend too will make it better for investors. And it also just makes the whole investing experience likely, you know, more friction free for people because I think interfaces will be smarter. I think investing to the extent that it's daunting for some people, I, I see pathways here where it could be made more inviting and less complicated. It's a big part of Morningstar's mission is to sort of extend investing to more people and make more people investors because we think it's financial good for society when, you know, people are able to build nest eggs, for example. That's a good segue for my next question, Kunal, which is that in an interview you gave when you first stepped into the CEO chair back in 2016, you said, I think that if you're an advisor, your biggest challenge is how to demonstrate value to clients. 
Do you think that's easier or harder now? Well, I think it's not hard if you know your clients and you know what's important to them. I think it's easier overall, though, because the tools available to talk about how you're adding value and the recognition that an advisor can add value through multiple channels has grown meaningfully and advisors too understand that. The challenge will remain that many clients will continue to question how to think about fees relative to value delivered. And I think the fact that if you look over the past decade, fees uh, in the advisory space have generally stayed flat to slightly up would indicate that it has been easier for advisors to prove and explain their value, especially relative to asset managers who have seen fees go down because people have questioned the values, let's say an active strategy charging more than 100 basis points vis-a-vis a passively managed large cap fund at one to three basis points. Yeah, you've definitely seen that fee pressure on the active side for the last 20 years, yeah. Yeah, and it's super interesting because you've not seen it on the wild side. So I want to talk about who is doing all this work with the AI models. At Canal, when you and I started out in the industry, the quant guys generally came from more technical backgrounds. If you'll recall, we sort of engineers, math, computer science, maybe. The fundamental analysts were building models in Excel, and that was mostly the extent of their computer skills. How has this changed? What do you see as the table stakes these days for getting into or maybe even keeping a capital markets job? Yeah, I think you've got to know how to program. It's pretty simple and obvious from my perspective. I, th- I think increasingly, if you don't, you're probably going to be at a significant disadvantage in just about every profession because you're going to need a rudimentary understanding of how to write. And it's like learning our language to a certain degree, but it's also more logic-based than, let's say, learning an altogether new language. And, and, and so I think many people sometimes feel like it's out of reach for them, but it's really not. And I do believe it'll become table stakes. Maybe the CFA will make it part of it too. Who knows? So we're down to our final question here, Kanal. It's uh, what was your first job in the industry? And if you could go back and take yourself for coffee on your first day, what key piece of advice would you offer yourself? Well, I'm always telling people that I'm not good at giving advice. And I think uh, that probably holds true today as well. But you know, my first job was sort of what I described earlier. I was a data analyst. And on the Monday, I used to collect SEC yield data and asset data. And in those days at Morningstar, we used to get a lot of our data off of machines, or I used to be involved in what we called our daily performance process. And at the end of the day, we'd get prices from the NASDAQ and we'd kind of work through calculating all the total returns for the university mutual funds. Um, it, 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 was, it was fun and learned a lot, obviously. Those jobs are all automated today as they should be. But if I had to give myself uh, advice going back to my very first day, I would say that I would tell myself not to pre-plan my career too quickly because many of the choices that I think ultimately proved to be successful and enriching for me were choices that I'd never thought I would make. And if I had just stuck to my plan, I would probably have only focused on a research job, which by the way, I loved and I still love being a researcher and analyst, but by being flexible, I ended up in different paths and opportunities. And I think that's good for people, particularly in the early parts of their career, not to get locked in. And honestly, if you're going to be a doctor, you should go be a doctor. You do need to get locked in. That's really 
you know, not a job where you're going to have a lot of flexibility. But I think to the extent that you're able to have some flexibility, and I think in finance you can, it's good to take advantage of that early in your career. Well, I imagine, and to my point off the top there, I, I can imagine that's really served you well in, in a leadership position to have done all the jobs of the people that you're overseeing. Yeah, it's it's, it's good to have some uh, strategic versatility, I think. So, yeah, I would agree. I've been speaking today with Kunal Kapoor, CEO of Morningstar. Thanks for chatting with me today, Kunal. I really enjoyed our conversation. Me too, Mike. Thanks for having me. I'm Mike Wahlberg, and this has been Guiding Assets. <laughs>